Section 33 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 33. The Last Book. He is dead, someone said to me on the stairway. For some days past I had been expecting this sad news. I knew that at any moment the tidings might greet me upon the threshold, and yet there was something of unexpectedness in the blow when it came. With heavy heart and trembling lips I entered the humble apartment of a man of letters. The room in which his work had been done was the most prominent of all, for the despotism of learning had monopolized whatever comfort or light the home possessed. He lay there upon an iron bed, very low and small it was. His table was loaded with papers, his large handwriting cut short in the middle of the page, his pen still standing in his ink-bottle, told how suddenly death had smitten him. Behind the bed, a tall oaken press, overflowing with papers and manuscripts, stood half open, almost at his head. About him on every side, books, nothing but books, in every corner, on shelves, on chairs, on the desk, piled up on the floor in corners, even to the foot of the bed. When he was writing, seated at his table, these piles of books, this litter, upon which no dust had gathered, could please the eyes. They seemed to be alive, they suggested the activity of labor, but in this chamber of death the sight of them was mournful. All these poor books, piled up and toppling over, looked now as though they too were ready to start upon a journey, to be lost in the great library of chance, scattered in auction rooms, upon the quays, in shop windows, their leaves fingered by the wind and by the passing lounger. I embraced him where he lay, and stood gazing at him, startled as I touched his forehead, cold and heavy as stone. Suddenly the door opened, a clerk from some publisher entered joyously, loaded down, out of breath, and threw upon the table a package of books fresh from the press. Bashland sent these, he exclaimed, then observing the figure upon the bed, he recoiled, raised his cap, and retired discreetly. It seemed horribly ironic that this package, whose sending had been delayed for a month, this package awaited by the sick man with so much impatience should have been received by the dead. Poor friend! It was his last book, the one for which he expected most. With what minute carefulness his hands trembling even then with fever had corrected the proof-sheets, how he longed to hasten the day when he would handle that first edition! During the last days of his illness, when he could no longer speak, his eyes gazed fixedly towards the door, and if the printers, proofreaders, binders, and all that world of people employed in bringing into the world the work of one individual could have seen that anguished and expectant glance, every hand would have hastened its work, the type would have been set in pages more rapidly, the pages would have grown into volumes, 
that they might have reached him in time, that is to say, a day earlier, and thus have given the dying man the delight of recognizing in well-printed sentences, about which clung all the fragrance of a new book, those ideas which he felt were already fading, vanishing from his memory. And even in the very plentitude of life, that pleasure is one of which a writer never wearies. To open a first copy of his work, to see it assume definite form, which stands out in bold outline, his thoughts no longer in that first ebullition, where all is as yet somewhat vague, what a delightful sensation! In youth it simply dazzles one. The letters almost blind him, run together, look blue and yellow at once, as though his very brain were intoxicated with sunshine. Later, with this joy of the author, mingles a tinge of sadness, a regret that he has not said all he wished to say. That within him which has never said itself in words seems always far more beautiful than that which is already accomplished. How much is lost in that journey from the brain to the hand? In his deepest dreaming, the conception of the book seems to resemble one of those lovely medusae of the Mediterranean, which flit through the sea like floating phantoms, but when they lie upon the sand, nothing is seen but water, a few discolored drops that are soon dried in the air. Alas! Of these joys and disillusions, the poor fellow received none from his last work. It was heart-rending to gaze at this lifeless head, drooping so heavily upon the pillow, asleep in death, while at his side was that book so fresh and new, that book which would soon be seen in the shop-windows, form a part of the talk of the street, the life of the day, whose title passers-by would read mechanically carrying it away in the memory impressed upon the retina, with the name of its author inscribed now upon that sadder leaf of the city's register, that name whose letter looked so bright, so gay on the cover, its color still fresh, unfaded. The entire problem of the soul and the body seemed to be there, that rigid corpse would so soon be given to earth and forgotten, while the book starting forth on its life apart from him, like a visible soul, was full of vitality and perhaps a thing immortal. He promised me a first edition, I heard a lacrimose voice near me whisper. I looked around and my glance met the keen eye of a gold-spectacled enthusiast. I was acquainted with him, and you also are my friends who write. He was the bibliophile, who knocks at your door as soon as your volume is announced. Two timid but persistent knocks that resemble himself. He enters smiling, bowing low, wriggling about you, and he addresses you as, Dear Master, and does not depart without carrying away your last book. Merely the last. He has all the others. This only he still lacks. 
and how can one refuse him? He arrives so opportunely. He knows just when to catch you while you are still in the midst of that joy of which we were speaking, full of the abandon of the envoy or the dedication. Ah, that terrible little man whom nothing rebuffs, neither heavy doors nor frozen greetings, neither wind, rain, nor distance. Of a morning, you encounter him in the Rue de la Pompe, knocking at the low door of the Patriarch of Passy. At nightfall, he returns from Marly, with Sardou's latest drama under his arm. And so, forever upon the go, always in quest, he fills his hours, though he works not, fills his shelves, though he buys not. Surely his passion for books must have been very strong in the man to have brought him even to the bedside of the dead. Here is your copy, take it, I said impatiently. He not merely took it, he swallowed it up. Once the volume had quite disappeared in his pocket, he remained there without budging, without speaking. His head leaning upon his elbow, he wiped his glasses with a softened air. What was he waiting for? What kept him there? Perhaps some passing feeling of shame, embarrassment at the thought of leaving so suddenly, as if he had merely come for the book? Ah, no. Upon the table, the wrapper half removed, he had perceived copies of the book-lover prizes, their edges rough, uncut, wide margins, vignettes, and tail-pieces. In spite of his meditative attitude, his pensive absorption, all was revealed. The wretch had caught sight of them. Ah, oh, this mania for seeing things! Even I myself was distracted for a moment from my emotion. Through my tears I could not help following that painful bit of comedy played at the dead man's bedside. Slowly, with little invisible jerks, the book-lover approached the table. His hand, as if by chance, closed upon one of those volumes. He turned it about, opened it, fingered the leaves. By degrees his eye kindled, the book mounted to his cheeks. The magic of the book operated upon him. At last he could no longer contain his emotion. He captured a copy. It is for Monsieur de Saint-Beuve, he said half audibly, and in his feverish anxiety and fear lest someone should take it from him perhaps too to convince me that it was indeed intended for Monsieur de Saint-Beuve, he added very gravely in a tone of indescribable compunction, of the Académie Française, and disappeared. End of section 33